You're listening to the Prevailing Word podcast channel and also on our Prevailing Word live YouTube channel. I'm Pastor Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Let's get right into the message. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse number 18, the world under wickedness. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In our early session, we pretty much talked about uh, COP. 27, and I forgot to uh, give uh, this uh, other acronym that uh, gives us awareness of what this COP uh, 27 is about, which happens today, and they're supposed to be at uh, what is termed as Mount Sinai. But when you look at a word that has an acronym, you got to begin to wonder why in the world did they use this? And um, when I, I looked at the first three letters, I said, now, don't that sound like cop? <laughs> and I said, well, that, that that's what climate change is about. It's about the world becoming the police or cops. But uh, COP actually means uh, Conference of, of the Parties. That's the, uh, the acronym that is uh, used to describe their climate change uh, agenda. Uh, the election took place on November 1st for the uh, Israelis, in which they were uh, they elected Benjamin Netanyahu to another term, and uh, he is forming a government a government with 64, if not 65, seats in their par- parliament, and uh, so there right now it's going to take about a few days for this government to form, and it is a right-wing government under Likud. And uh, uh, it's interesting that Benjamin Netanyahu is back in the saddle. Now, that is not an omen to say that, well, if Netanyahu is back in, Trump is coming back. I don't know about that. And I am not a prophet, and I am not going to stand here and and try to prove to you that he will be the next president because somebody else may be the next president. So I'm not going to be a fool and and try to go down that, that path because we don't know how things are going to happen in 2024. But as far as 2022 is concerned, the red wave did not happen. Um, The elections are still being counted in Nevada and Arizona and in other places. But it is is, um, 
determined that the Republicans will have power in the House, but not in the Senate. That race is still up for grabs because of what is taking place in Georgia between uh, a false pastor, Raphael Warnock, and uh, Herschel Walker. And so a runoff is to take place in December to determine who will be the next senator from Georgia. But at this point, it looks like the Democrats will have control of the Senate. The Republicans having control in the House. The Biden agenda will be in a stalemate, but that just because it's in a stalemate, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they will push, uh, they will no longer push certain things. They will. And so it is to be expected that as we go down the road, that things will be in a stalemate and things will not get better regardless of who's in power. And that's why we need to learn to trust in Jesus alone. Because if we put our hopes up too high with the politics of our times, then automatically that shows us that we're trusting in something else as opposed to trusting in the Lord alone. So that is why we have what is what the scriptures tells us in uh, verse 19 of 1 John chapter 5, that we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But notice what, what John says in verse 18, because, you know, sometimes we do uh, gloss over it. And, and that's what I have done. And, and we need to just go back and, and backtrack a little bit. Uh, but first, let me uh, explain what this, what this 20, uh, co- uh, COP27 is. And it stands for Conference of the Parties. And the summit was attended by United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC a treaty that came into force in 1994, the year that prevailing word was pushed back out into being church, local church. But this is about climate change. And so you're going to hear a lot about climate change here in the United States. And uh, the agenda has been pushed and pushed and pushed, and now we're seeing that uh, there is another chance, another shot of this, of this happening. But we should not be moved by any of these things. In fact, in fact, Jesus, you know, really uh, told us and give it, had given us instructions. I'll, I'll get to verse eighteen in a moment because there's some things in verse eighteen that ties in with John chapter three that we need to see. Uh, If you go to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse four, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. And so with uh, COP 27, they're going to Mount Sinai and they're using the 10 commandments as a backdrop. Now they haven't released what these 10 commandments are. So everybody in the, uh, everybody that has had 
at least some knowledge of this taking place today, we'll hopefully they'll post it so that way we'll know what the Ten Commandments are. But behind it, in the backdrop, is an ecumenical movement. They're trying to get people that are in religious circles to jump on the bandwagon of climate change. Um, I'm not on that bandwagon, so you can rest assured that I'm not a part of that. You can, you can be at ease and relax, and, and, I'm not, um, and I'm not a part of that. Anybody that's smart will know that they don't need to be a part of that. Uh, there has been for decades an ecumenical, ecumenical rather, movement. In other words, a joining together of the world's religion to become one. And they're doing this without the Lord, or it appears as if they're doing this without the Lord. It appears that they're doing this without Jesus, although in an ecumenical movement, you got to have some people that have some relations uh, or some connection, I should say, not relation, connection to Jesus. And so there will be individuals of, of the denomination that will begin, and you have acquired a way by which you've gotten uh, degrees, in particular a doctorate. You have to uh, have a doctorate in order for you to be a ruler of the Jews or Pharisees or, or Sadducees. In verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, and no, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus should have known better because think about it. Has anyone ever seen a man, a grown man, become a baby again and go back into the womb and then come out? That doesn't make any sense, does it? So Nicodemus should have known better that that doesn't make any sense. But he wanted to understand exactly what Jesus meant by it. So he went and, and asked him in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in verse 3, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, he says, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. So they can't see it unless they're born again. They cannot enter unless they're born of water and born of the spirit. So now there's been a great mystery about what is what is wa the water that Jesus is speaking of. And we're going to uncover exactly what the water is from the scriptures. This is not my interpretation. I'm only going to show you what the scripture says about water. But let's read on and then I'll get to, the, to what the water is. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then Jesus explains what this born again is. The wind blows where it wishes and you cannot hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. In other words, being born of the spirit is not a feeling. Being born of the spirit is not an emotion because you can feel the wind blow, but you can't tell when it's coming from and where it's, where it's going. So whenever a person repents, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter four and verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God grants the individual repentance. And then the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of them and make them a brand new creature. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So you can't tell on the inside based on emotions or feelings that you've been born again. Emotions are basically an after effect, but it is not the predominant determination that you've been born again. And it must never be used as a means by which a person is born again because we can be easily deceived when a person, when a person uh, uh, cries and shed tears and emotional, very easy. And here's, here's why it's, it's very easy. Go to the book of Luke chapter eight. Here's, here's why it's easy for us to, to, to be swayed by, um, to be swayed by our emotions because in Luke chapter eight and uh, starting in uh, verse 11, we, we, will, we will see uh, what happens when a person is full of emotions. Now the parable is this in verse 11, Luke chapter eight, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear when the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. So here's an individual where he is receiving seed and he's standing by the wayside, but he's standing by the wayside because he really doesn't want to get to good ground. And so the devil comes and steals the seed. He takes the word out of their, out of their hearts. So guess what? While he's standing on the wayside, the word is planted in the heart. It's already there. It's in the heart. But guess what? The devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart. Lest they should believe and be saved. Now watch this in verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. How, how do they receive the word? They received it with joy. That's emotion. They cry. They share tears of, shed tears of happiness. That they heard the word of God and they're so joyful about it. But you see, 
That's why you have to watch people over time. You see, we have this saying in, in the church, when, when we see a person get saved and they're, they're jumping all over the place, they're crying, they shed tears. Yeah, he was, he was gloriously saved. That was just a bunch of emotion. Let's watch over a period of time. Let's really see what really happens with this individual. They hear the word with joy or received it with joy. And these have no root. In other words, depending upon where you are in your relationship with the Lord, if you don't allow time to progress, the, the seed will never gain root. And, they, and these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. In other words, they receive the word with joy. They're going around, they're happy, but there's no root. And then all of a sudden, temptation comes. Now, Satan is not going to tempt us with the sins that we don't find ourselves in. He always tempts us with the sins that we find pleasure in. And when you have no root in you, it's very easy for you to fall in time of that temptation because you didn't allow the word to work in you, the root, where, I mean, if you understand anything about trees, in order for a tree to stand, it must have roots. The whole purpose of the root is stability. If a believer isn't stable in Christ, it's very easy for the tree to get knocked over and fall. So it's always in being tempted for sin where you will know whether or not you have root or not. And then verse 14, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And see, that's why... You have to guard your emotions because your emotions are nothing but motion. You know, just like waves up and down, up and down, and they never stay the same. Waves never stay the same because of winds and currents. And they, they're always up. One is up, one is down. One is higher, one is lower. You just bounce it. You have nothing but motion because when you're governed by emotions, you're governed by motion. And so you want to be stable in your relationship with the Lord, where even if you do feel some emotions, you're so stable in the Lord that you don't care about your tears. You don't care how you feel. You stay with the word. In fact, the book of Isaiah chapter 33, and I believe verse six says that wisdom and knowledge shall be for the stability of your times. So always look for the stable believers. Don't look for the believers that are always up and down in their emotions because you can't trust it. You can't trust emotions. Go to the word where you will have stability because it is there in the stability of the word that you're rooted and grounded in him. 
And that's part of being a born again believer. And that's why Satan can't. The wicked one doesn't touch you because you're keeping yourself. But how do you keep yourself? Well, prayer is one way by which you do it. And that's a very important component because Jesus always teaches us to pray. But he also tells us to have the word, to be in the word, to speak the word, to live in the word, to have habitation in the word. That regardless of how you're feeling today, the word is your place of anchor and security. You don't, you don't care about your emotions. Your emotions will go up and down and you're feeling stuff all over the place. But when you go to the word, guess what? If you just read one sentence of the word, it takes your emotions out. Because you're receiving knowledge and, and insight and information from the word so that way you can have stability. A person that is over or hyper emotional very dangerous person to trust when it comes to the word. So we have to learn how to take our emotions out and be stable in his word. So cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, the, the, the purpose and the design of this is to get you unstable. Because the cares of this life, when am, what am I going to eat? What am I going to get? How am I going to live? How am I going to? You, you're always worried about the hows of life. And then you have those that, that care nothing about riches. I mean, just last week or week before last, somebody in California won, won I think it was $1.9 billion. And, and, and sadly, people haven't gotten it yet that they're playing with you. You know, they're, they're, they're holding back the number system so that way you don't win. So that way you can pour money in their system because somehow, some way they're getting money out of this too. And people just spend all sorts of money and they don't win and all they want is riches. Cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. Let's, let's look at cares for a moment. Because, you know, as far as being a born-again believer, the wicked one doesn't touch us. The whole world is under the, the sway of the wicked one. As, as far as the cares of, of this world are concerned, Jesus solves the problem in, in Matthew chapter 6, if you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus really gives um, the, uh, the word on cares. Let's start in verse 19, because we mentioned riches, right? Well, let's look at what Jesus speaks on riches. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, And where thieves do not break in and steal. How many of you know that thieves cannot break into heaven? You can't break into heaven. And, and, so, and so what we do 
is that we, we store up riches in heaven as opposed to storing up riches on earth. Again, uh, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will there your heart will be also. So what you treasure, that's where your heart is. What you treasure, that's where your heart is. Go to verse 24 now in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I was watching uh, uh, this show, uh, Jim Baker, the Jim Baker show. He's back on television since he's been out in prison. And he had this individual that wrote a book about riches. And, and, and then, then, then he turned around and said, which was definitely a twisting of the scriptures, Mammon don't mean money. I said, devil, you are a liar. Mammon does mean money. In fact, it means riches. So what is the true measurement of riches and possessions? Money. In order for you to buy certain riches and possessions, you have to have Currency. So whenever I hear a, a person because he said, I believe in prosperity. Oh, yeah, really? All right. All right. Well, let's see what happens when when that's all that is taken away from you. And let's see. Let's see how you believe how you believe then. And said that that mammon isn't money. But mammon is money because it is speaking of riches. It speaks also of wealth. So how is wealth determined? It is determined by currency. And so we can't serve two masters. We'll either hate one and love the other, or either we will be loyal to one and despise the other. But you can't serve them both. Cares, riches. Well, I was talking about cares, but I wouldn't need to tap into riches, which I'll get back into in a, in a moment. Because a person that is born again really trusts God alone, even when those things fail. Verse 25, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? How many of you know that you're more valuable than a bird? You see, a bird doesn't have a spirit, but we do. In fact, we're created in the image of God and animals aren't. Yet, God takes care of them. So if we're of more value than they, these sparrows, these animals, these birds, 
Don't you think that God will take care of me? And he will when I trust him. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? See, worrying is not going to help you grow. <laughs> worrying is not going to help you grow. So why should I fret and worry all the time? And in, in, in fact, in fact, uh, uh, go to uh, uh, Psalm 37. Let me point point this out to you. Because those of, those of us that are born again, we live by this in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers. You see, what they're doing out there in the world, it's, it's on a path towards the end times and things are going to get worse and worse. But what did Jesus say in Matthew 24? Do not be troubled. When you see these things, do not be troubled. So, Psalm 37 verse 1 says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. And then here in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Not just trust in the Lord, but do good too. What is doing good? Doing his commandments. When we do his word, when we're walking in his word, when we're walking as the children of God that we say that we are, when we're born again and forsake sin. That's what doing good is about. It's about forsaking that which God hates and loving what God loves. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And then rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. But see, all that is tied into verse number three, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. All of these other things that the Lord is telling us to do is, is the predicate is on verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. If you're not good, doing good, your trust is nowhere but in yourself. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know what that says? Rest in the Lord and if, the, and if God take a long time, wait patiently. If God go beyond the time limit that you imposed, still wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Lord, how come they get blessed and I'm not blessed? Now, don't fret about that. Don't even bother to think about that. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes what? Harm. It only causes harm. To, to fret means to glow or to grow warm. In other words, ablaze. In other words, you just get angry. Don't get angry about it. Leave it alone. Leave it be. All right, so uh, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 27 now. 
Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about your clothing or worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, Solomon had so much riches that a little dandelion got more glory than him. <laughs> And now if God so clothes uh, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So tomorrow is going to have its own troubles. There's no sense for me, of me using credit for tomorrow's trouble. No, no sense in, in doing that. All right, so go back to uh, Luke chapter 8. So that covers riches and cares. That covers, that covers uh, cares, rather, and riches. And, and in some degree, also the pleasures of this life. But the pleasures of this life is not enjoying life like going on vacation, having a good time in terms of just, you know, doing the, the good things that are afforded to us by God in this life. The pleasures of this life have everything to do with sin. It has everything to do with sin because people find pleasure in sin. And when you tell them about sin, all of a sudden they're disturbed that you disturbed their peace because they want to be able to sin in peace. And that's why we don't deal with emotions when it comes to dealing with the word of God. We deal with the knowledge of God's word absent of emotions, absence of the way that we feel, absent of tears flowing down our cheeks. Now that is not to say that you're going, that you're not going to experience those moments. We, we all are going to experience some measure of emotions in our moments, but, but, but the word tells us not to be governed by them. And so a person that is born again is not governed by tears, governed by even joy or laughter. We're not governed by that. We're governed by the word of God because the word of God doesn't care about your emotions. The word of God cares about your obedience. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, with a beautiful, good heart, keep it. Well, didn't we read from 1 John chapter 5, verse, 19, uh, verse 18, that anyone, anyone that is born of God keeps himself? Well, to keep yourself, you have to keep his word. 
To keep yourself, you have to keep his word in obedience, irrespective of your emotions. What happens when they, when they have a good, uh, having heard the word with a noble and good heart and keep it, what happens? They begin to bear fruit and with patience. In other words, the, 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 the word is getting down in you. See, roots don't happen overnight. They happen over time because they're stretching themselves. So that way, when the storms come, the tree is stable. It may bend, but after the storm passes, it comes back to stability. The person that is born again has stability. Every born-again believer is stable in their relationship. And usually it is when you are frazzled in your emotions that you find yourself back into sin. Because when you're high in your emotions, your body is connected to your soul, and so your soul and your body is going to suggest to you that you need a pleasure as a reward or just to feel better. And those are the moments when you have to be like Jesus in Matthew chapter four and say it is written because the Bible says that Jesus was hungry and Satan came to Jesus at the very moment where his emotions could be played with. He, oh, he's hungry. Oh, better, best time in the world because Satan knew that after 40 days, after fasting for 40 days, you're going to be hungry. So Jesus was hungry. Satan picked up on that and came to him and, and tempted him and said, if you, if you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. But Jesus had enough awareness that even in his emotional state of being hungry, because hunger is an emotion, it's a signal to the body that you got to eat something. But it is also connected to your emotions because everybody likes good food. And when you eat good food, it really picks up the emotions. And so Satan took it as an advantage, tried to use it as an advantage over Jesus. And Jesus had enough awareness to realize that Satan was tempting him to do something to prove that he was the son of God. But because he is the son of God, he didn't have to prove anything. He simply said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when you find yourself hungry and you want to reward yourself, don't use sin as a reward. Go to the word of God and live by it. Live by it. Don't let your body or your mind dominate you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The Bible says in Colossians chapter three and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly to the point where you say it is written and don't find yourself rewarding yourself because you think that sin will give you a reward. No sin separates you from the, from the God that gives the ultimate reward. Well done. Good and faithful servant. So don't be the one that 
are caught up with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. Now, go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Notice what Jesus said, that, that unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, so let's let's do let's do a study on on the water. The the, the word the, the word water is very is 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 just what it is. It, uh, it is it is water. But water does two things: water refreshes, and water cleanses. Water refreshes, and water cleanses. We're going to look at the cleansing part first. Go to John chapter 15 and verse 3. Jesus said this to the disciples in John chapter 15, John chapter 15 and verse 3. And, and, and so in, in chapter 15, it speaks of the of being attached to Jesus as far as being, as far as abiding in him. Verse 3 says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the water that Jesus speaks of in John chapter 3 and verse 5 is the word, to be born of the word because the word has cleansing power. Glory be to God forever. Uh, the water has cleansing power. So in verse 2 of, of, of John chapter 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So if you're not bearing fruit, it's just a matter of time before you get cut off. But if you're bearing fruit, this is what he does. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or cleanses. That's what the word prune means. That it may bear more fruit. Remember what we saw in Luke chapter 8, that, that we bear fruit in patience. All right. So this is, this is the connection. You are, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. In other words, without Jesus, we can't bear fruit. We just got, we got to stay attached or attached to him and abide to him. And how do we do that? We abide, to, we abide to him through prayer. Yes, that's an important component. But the equal important component is the word. So you can't do prayer without the word, and you can't do the word without prayer. The two are connected. If you try to pray without the word, you, you're just using one component. You got to use a dual component for it to work effectively. Prayer and the word. So not only are you receiving the word, but the word is also having a cleansing effect on the inside of you. So that's what it means to be born of the, of the water. The word is cleaning you or cleansing you. Here's further proof of this. Uh, go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Here's, here's further proof of this. Look at verse 22 in 1 Peter chapter 1. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. We all know that obeying the truth is obeying the word of God. 
more closely, more closely uh, it is obeying the gospel of truth that Paul speaks of. So when your soul is obeying in the truth, you're purifying your souls. So where there is obedience in me, I am purifying myself. When I am obeying the truth, the purification process is ever present in me. Having purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, watch, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. Born again through the word of God, which is incorruptible. So, so when Jesus said you must be born of the water, he is speaking of being born of the word. He's speaking of being born of the word. Through the word which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is as flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which, uh, which by the gospel was preached to you. So it's very important that we stay connected to the word. Anytime that you see a believer that is in emotions, watch them over time. Because if they're in the word the way they're supposed to, it's having a cleansing effect on the inside of them. And they stay pure before God all the time, all the time. And that's why John said what he said in, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. Anyone that is born of God does not sin. Well, why is that? Because the word is having a cleansing effect on the inside of them all the time. They're, being, they're staying in prayer, which again is an important component, but they're also staying in the word of truth because the two, the combination of the two is what is needed. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the word of God. The two must be combined for cleansing to take place. So you're being purified. Now also go into uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. And this is what this is what is true about marriage uh, between uh, a husband and a wife. And so Paul use, uses this analogy as far as the husband and the wife to bring forth a powerful revelation about, about the, the sanctification and the, the, the power of the, the washing of water. Look at verse 26, that he might sanctify he, meaning Jesus, and cleanse her, meaning the church, with the washing of water by the word with the washing of water by the word. And it's for a purpose. Verse 27 is the purpose that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Well, how is this done? By the washing of water by the word. Let's look at another, let's look at, an, at, at another reference. Uh, let's go to Titus chapter, chapter three. Titus chapter 3. Now, now, again, we're going to look at the dual purpose of the water. Refreshing and cleansing. Here, look at uh, verse 4, starting in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. 
But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration, that's the cleansing, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So that's the, that's the refreshing, the renewing, the refreshing. That's the, re, that's the renewing. It is also called renovation, a complete change for the better. So when the word is coming on the inside of you, it's, ch it's changing you from what you used to be into what he already is. Changing you from what you used to be to what he already is. And so, how many of us took a bath this morning? We all took a bath this morning. But you see, every morning we, we, to, we do that religiously, if you will, for our flesh. How much more for our spirit man? So the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit is the washing of water by the word, but it is also what Jesus said in John chapter three and verse five, that we are born of the water. Now go to, go to first John chapter five, first John chapter five. We already saw a base scripture in verse 18 and 19, the whole world lying under the sweat of the wicked one. But if, if I just talk about the wickedness of what's going on in the world without talking about verse 18, then, then it's a disservice. But look at verse 7. Now, because this is tying in with John chapter 3 and verse 5, where it says, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But look at what, what, how it was made possible. Look at verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So now do we see why Jesus said what he said in John chapter three and verse five, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he would see that the spirit, the water, and the blood, they agree as one. Well, 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 well how does the blood come in, into this? Where where, where does the water, where does the blood come in involved in this? Go to John chapter 19. Now, now you're going to, now you're going to see, now you're going to see another reference. And again, first John chapter, uh, first John is the author. The author is the apostle John and the gospel of John is also the, uh, the author of the gospel of John. So pretty much first John, second and third John are an extension of the gospel that he wrote uh, as a gospel, uh, as the gospels, the, the four gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at verse 34 in John chapter 19. But one of the soldiers pierced his side. Now, this is Jesus on the cross. But one of the soldiers pierced his, his, uh, pierced his side with a spear. Now, the reason why he pierced him is because uh, they said, we got to take these bodies down because we don't want the bodies to hang past Sabbath because we, the Bible tells us that no bodies can be, no dead bodies can be uh, on, on, uh, held up on the Sabbath or hung on a cross on the Sabbath. They got to be taken down before the, the Sabbath starts. And so he went to one of the thieves and cracked his legs. 
went to the other feet, cracked his legs, and looked at Jesus and saw that he was already dead. So to make sure that Jesus was dead, he had sense enough to put in Jesus a spear. But look at what came out of Jesus when he put the spear in. And immediately, blood and water came out. Here's the spiritual significance of this blood and water coming out. Remember, what did John chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So out of the Word came the water. Praise God forevermore. But not only water, but blood came out. Now, I know that in, in Pentecostal and other circles, they always say, I plead the blood of Jesus. And you, usually when you plead the blood of Jesus, you're talking about protection. But you see, if you look at the Old Testament pattern of the blood, you will find that the Old Testament pattern of the blood has no connection to uh, protection, has no, no connection to protection. And then we see in the New Testament that we see nowhere in Scripture any of the disciples pleading the blood of Jesus. We just don't see it. It's not there. Believe me, I searched. But then again, don't believe me. Search for yourselves. Don't take my word for it. Search for yourself. Pleading the blood of Jesus for protection is nowhere in Scripture. Now, now, now go, while, while we're on this, go to, go to Revelation chapter 12. Go to because this is this is where this is where people uh, uh, use use it as as a reference for protection, and, and 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 essentially it has it has nothing to do with protection, has nothing has nothing to do with uh, protection. I don't know why I didn't put that reference in. All right, uh, Revelation twelve. I don't know why I didn't. Uh, uh, look at the verse number uh, seven. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon obviously is Satan, and his angels fought, meaning the devils, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's in Ephesians six. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon, meaning Satan, was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and did not, watch this, and did not love their lives to the death. In other words, these brethren were being persecuted. Right? Because they didn't care about their lives. So anytime you're trying to use the blood of Jesus and you're trying to save your life, it doesn't, doesn't mesh with these scriptures. Here's why. Because they didn't love their lives to the, to the death. So, so what is this 
They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The overcoming of the blood of the lamb is connected to the cleansing. In other words, they're no longer in sin. They had their sin forgiven. So what is their testimony is about? Their testimony is about confessing a good confession before those persecutors. It is not talking about confession of faith. It is talking about testifying of Jesus when you're persecuted. Will you give up Jesus for your life? No, because I do not love my life unto death. We're going to cut your head off if you don't renounce Jesus. Nah, we're not going to renounce him. A few years ago, I think it was 2018, there were individuals that were paraded on the shores, the sands and sea, the, the seashore, and they were, they were dressed in either orange or red jumpsuits, but their captors were dressed in black. They were ISIS. And they had knives in their hand. And one by one, they beheaded each one of them because they had a testimony of Christ. That's what this is talking about. It's not talking about a confession of faith that you believe in God for money. Has nothing to do with this. this. This scripture has nothing to do with protection because they did not love their lives to, to death, to the death. They didn't love their lives. In other words, go ahead and kill me. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 10. They will deliver you up to the magistrates and kill you. The blood of Jesus has nothing to do with protection. It has everything to do with cleansing from sin. We see that consistently in the scriptures as far as 1 John chapter 1 is concerned. And the in verse 7, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Why? Because it's the pattern from the Old Testament that when they, were, when they slaughtered lambs and, and bulls and rams, their blood was used as a sacrifice for the atonement of their sin, the covering of their sins. That's the pattern. And that's why when we go into extra biblical teaching without showing in scripture where it comes from, it is elasticity of the scriptures which violates Proverbs chapter 30 and verse six. Add not to his words, lest you be found a liar. Don't add to his words. And so that's why we see water and blood, because it has everything to do with salvation from sins. Go to Acts chapter 22 and verse 12. And we're going to, we're going to see a, a pattern with the, the washing of water through the word, which is the blood and, and the water. But this is how it's done. And again, in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 12, then a certain... Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood, this is Paul speaking, and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same time, at the same hour, rather, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of, your fa of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. And hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men 
of what you have seen and heard. What is a witness? Testifying of what you saw. And that's what it means to confess the word. You're telling people what you saw. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. How? Calling on the name of the Lord. Well, how, how do we call upon the name of the Lord? Well, that for that, you go to the book of Romans chapter 10. For that, you go to Romans chapter 10. And that'll tell you everything you need to know about what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Romans, the 10th chapter. Now look at verse five, starting there. For Moses write about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does them, who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. The word of faith, which we preach has nothing to do with believing God for things. It has everything to do with salvation. Why? Look at verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And lastly, Isaiah 55, in verse 6, beginning there, it says, Seek the Lord while you may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And I will have mercy on him and turn to me, for I will abundantly pardon. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's the connection between the spirit the blood, and the water. You've been listening to our Prevailing Word podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.